1: Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low no power, frequency, radio modulation. The big sound from underground.
0: We bring the truth to place- Good afternoon, Madison. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali. This is A Public Affair. And today we are talking about... This Friday's event, Sustain Dane's annual summit. The one day event is an opportunity for sustainability leaders to learn, connect, and build new skills to address climate change. We have the great pleasure of speaking with this year's keynote speaker, Diamond Spratling.
1: How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for asking. Um, happy Halloween.
1: Yes, it is Halloween, huh? I almost forgot.
0: <laughs> it's definitely Halloween. And I think, you know, Halloween has a lot of like, get out and and get to know your community and get to yes. know your your neighborsness. So I'm excited to, to celebrate the holiday with my little people this evening. Aww. Do you have like a favorite Halloween costume? Are you are you mm. dressed up right now?
1: So I'm not dressed up right now, but um, this past Saturday, I took my niece to the zoo boo, which was so sweet. She was a bee, and I dressed up as a tennis player specific co- um, Coco golf. So um, yeah, yeah, that was su- that was like super last minute, but I felt like it was a cool costume. <laughs>
0: That sound, that also sounds like a warm weather costume. And you oh, are you are sure. coming to us from Atlanta, right? I sure
1: am. 80 degrees as we speak. <laughs> oh,
0: that's so nice. That's such a nice way to do Halloween. Yeah. Um I wanna I wanna jump right into the conversation, Diamond, Diamond. You are an award-winning environmental justice activist, storyteller, public speaker. You are the founder of Girls Plus Environment, a national not-for-profit organization designed to educate, engage, and empower Black and brown girls and women and non-binary folks to sign up for climate and environmental justice. What got you into fighting for the environment? How did you become engaged and passionate about this work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I love this question because ultimately it came out to, I didn't have any other choice. Um, so I guess that to back up, when I was a kid, I was someone I loved being outside. I loved like the plants and trees, like all of those things. Um, and I remember actually also seeing those Save the Polar Bears commercials. Like those were the things that really got me as a kid. I was like, oh my gosh, the polar bears. Um, and so I think that is what originally brought me into the space. But as I began to continue to love, about um, the environment I learned that hey you know us humans I'm a part of the environment Um, myself my community and unfortunately we're exposed to tons of environmental burdens such as air pollution water quality all those things and so I said wow a lot of this is also connected to our health and well-being so I'm here in Atlanta but I'm originally from Detroit and so we're known for the Motor City and automotive industry which is great because it bought so many jobs and economic benefits Benefits, but when we think about the air pollution, when we think about um, our earth and our environment and the relationship it has with lung cancer or with asthma and other health illnesses, um, that really triggered me. And so, you know, I said, I've got to make that connection to people between health and the environment, but also what it has to do with race and what it has to do with social justice. So that's really what kind of frustrated me into getting into the space, because you know, I originally got into it because I'm like, oh, I love all these things in the environment. But what really, I guess, kind of, sparked my interest to, to grow in this space and to even keep me in this space was learning about the disparities and learning about how it was impacting people who looked like me every single day. And so that is really what got me into this work um, and ultimately still keeping me here um, to really just advocate for a safe environment for everyone, um, but with especially prioritizing and recognizing that many marginalized and frontline communities um, don't have the privilege to say what's in our own backyards.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I love that the polar bear commercials got to you as a kid. I think it's interesting when you're like, when you think about your younger self and you think of kind of the first messages that really um, grabbed your attention or made you think about the world around you. Um, I love how often people are like, Oh, it was like the animals. Yep. And I'm curious as you got older, as your, your analysis expanded to really take into consideration, um, You know how multifaceted the issue of climate justice is i i think a lot of times when we think about environmentalists our default image is young white folks um that that people of color have not necessarily been highlighted um as leaders in this movement how do you confront that dynamic and how do you confront the dynamic of people who say if we could include Uh, people of color in this conversation, this conversation becomes a conversation about racism and not the environment that unites us.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So so for me naturally, I, I love this space, so I decided to go to undergrad and study environmental policy. Um, I was one of three Black women in, in, my, in my sector, and what I noticed very early on is that we were talking about conservation, we were talking about the plants, the earth, the environment, all these things, but we weren't talking about the people. But when we talk about a planet, when we talk about this entire ecosystem and our environment, that encompasses people, that encompasses everyone. And so when we we, we in, the, in the sector, we talk a lot about this just transition and how can we transition to renewable energy and solar farms and all these great things that just sound so magnificent. We can't leave behind a, a community. You know, we have to make sure that everyone is all in and that everyone has the opportunity to really take advantage of climate and environmental benefits and live a happy, healthy life. And I think that that was pr- probably the biggest thing for me, the connection of we just all want to live Happy, healthy lives, and I think that that's something. No matter where you are on the planet, or what you do, or you know what your views are, we can all agree on that. And so that's the biggest thing, and that I think we have to understand that climate has to be intersectional environmental issues it has to be intersectional because it has everything to do with our health our happiness our well-being whether we can drive to our the grocery store everything in our environment from our social from water air all of those things and so before we can say oh well i'm just concerned about the earth side of things, or I'm just concerned about the the planet or the environmental side of things. We have to understand that by default, you are also concerned about the social justice things, whether you like it or not. And so I think that we as a sector, we have to change and shift the way we talk about these issues we have to do it in a way so that it is clear that when we are talking about climate and environment we're not talking about hugging the trees granted i love being outdoors and hugging the trees as well but i'm in this fight for the people i'm in this fight for the people who are disproportionately impacted by environmental issues who get up and have health issues because they're exposed to air pollution every single day because they live less than a mile away from a, a power plant or an incinerator. And so um, it, I do get that consumption. And it's really funny because even with my um, with my own family, when I originally got into this space, they're like, oh yeah, I'm recycling today or saying like, oh yeah, diamond dust stuff with the animals in the environment. Like, no, I don't do that at all. I'm here advocating for you all. And so I think it just takes a shift really in how we're communicating on, on these issues as it relates to climate.
0: I think one of the things that makes it really challenging to identify as as an environmentalist or as a a climate justice activist um, is feeling that you're never really doing enough to confront climate change. And so whether you're composting or recycling or having an electric car, so much of how folks can address um, protecting our environment, is about their access to resources is about their access to information um and so i'm curious for for folks who feel like they don't really have a way into this movement a way into this work it isn't accessible to them um what what do you say
1: yeah um well i'll say that that is the exact reason why i started girl plus environment because i did not see enough of us in this movement um whether it was environmental decisions solutions equitable um conversations everything um and you know yes this space is hard and one of the biggest things that i've realized is i'm always advocating for all these issues whether it be pollution um whatever it is climate change um i often forget that hey i'm a part of this community as well Um, I'm also significantly energy burdened and disproportionately exposed to toxins Um, and so sometimes it can feel uh, very difficult to be in this space but I think having an environment having a community of people who look like you, um, goes a long way and is very significant when it comes to um, building durable power in this sector and making sure that everyone has their voices heard. Um, Because I'm not in this movement to speak for people. I'm in this movement to pass the mic so that other people who look like me, who come after me, can feel empowered to say something, to do something, to take meaningful action in their own neighborhoods to advocate for climate and environmental justice. And I think that's really what it's all about there are opportunities, there are communities of us out there, Um, my organization Girl Plus Environment, but there's also black girl environmentalists, um, there's intersectional environmentalists, sustain the culture, um, many other organizations out there that are just really created um, by us and for us and doing really impactful work um, to really increase diversity and inclusion within the environmental sector.
0: Thank you so much for that, like, incredibly thorough and inspiring answer. And thank you for joining us today on WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. If you want to join the conversation, the number is 608-256-2001. We would love to hear your questions about the environment. We would love to hear your questions about what Diamond is going to talk about at the summit join us in this conversation. Um, the environment is everybody's, so we want to hear from you. Diamond, I'm curious about the standard you hold yourself to. As somebody who's being a highlight, highlighted as a leader within the, in, the environmentalist movement or the climate justice movement, does that mean that you don't fly? Does that mean that you don't use plastic? Does that mean, what does what does that mean about you and how you navigate your personal reality?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question um, that I get quite often as well, um, and, I, and I think a lot of people are curious because they're like, are, are the environmentalists holding themselves accountable <laughs> in this space? Um, and, and what I want to be very transparent about is I don't I don't tell our community that hey, you can't shop at Shein or oh, you need to recycle or you need to do that because I have to understand that the community that I work with, which is Predominantly black and brown women, low income individuals between the ages of 18 and 29 um, also face different economic barriers. And we also have to do things based off of convenience and what we have access to do. Um, and so I worry and focus less about individual behaviors and focus more on institutional and in- Policy in holding individuals who are in power accountable because, um, for example, they shouldn't be distributing plastic in the first place. And so, holding, um, in the holding institutions and companies and brands accountable, Amazon, other individuals accountable. That is that's how we build power because um, we have to we have to think about yes, individual action is definitely helpful. Like yes, I use my recycle and my water bottles and all those things. And yes, I do sometimes fly um, when it's worth it or when I have to, because I give a lot of talks. Um, But when we talk about power, we really have to hold those in power accountable and tell them hey we don't want your stuff anymore you shouldn't be distributing this out to us in the first place and so we really have to find those mechanisms and so that's a lot of what we do around empowering our own community to take meaningful action to hold whether it's their local representatives accountable their state or even on a federal side Um, for example i was in dc a couple months ago talking with um uh, representatives about hey we need to continue funding for IRA don't cut this funding and so that's opportunities for how you can get engaged on the policy side you can always submit public comment you can show up to public hearings those are really great ways to be able to show um, that you care about these topics and that you know we actually care about making meaningful change in action within our communities
0: Oh, I so greatly appreciate that you, one, talked about your your own personal reality and and what it looks like for you to navigate climate justice as an individual, Um, but also really emphasizing the importance of our leadership, our institutions, our governments, our corporations, you know, doing their part to address climate change. What are kind of major victories in that area that you've experienced as you've done this work in advocacy or as you've organized others to do this work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as I mentioned, I'm, I'm based here in Atlanta. And so in Atlanta in in gen- Georgia in general, we have significantly high energy burdens. So energy burden is basically the percent of um, your annual income that you are spending to pay your energy bills every single year. Um, And for many households, specifically black and brown households um, in low income communities, they're spending... Over 18% of their annual income on energy bills alone, um, which is significant. Yes, it's huge. Um, And the the average is supposed to be around like three to 5%. So people are paying like, like triple that essentially. Um, And that puts a huge dent, basically in people's finances, in their mental health, deciding whether they're going to pay for health care or prescriptions, as opposed to keeping the light on. Am I going to have food on the table? And so that's a significant issue that's going on, um, has been going on in Atlanta the past couple of years. Um, and so our um, utility company, Georgia Power, basically, um, they propose a rate increase on us, a rate increase of 12% for all consumers, for our households. Um, our community, unfortunately, we cannot afford an extra twelve percent because. We already can barely afford our um, our bills right now, and so we did a lot of um, advocacy work around that rate case. So we collaborated with many organizations like um, Sustainable Georgia Futures, uh, Georgia Conservation Voter Education Fund, um, Arm in Arm, a few other organizations as well, Sierra Club, and we mobilized communities to be able to stand up against the rate hikes. And so we prepared them and trained them on how to submit public comments to our public service commission. How do we show up to public hearings? How do we write letters, get petitions signed, all those things. And so we did a lot of that. And actually, one of the things that we did at Girl Plus Environment is we had a cohort of about 25 or so black and brown women who we basically compensated, we paid their energy bills so that they can engage in this work We um, did childcare, we provided transportation so that they can really just get engaged as much as possible and take action. And what ended up happening was the 12% rate increase was denied um, initially, which was so amazing. Um, We did still get a bit of a rate increase, I believe it was around 2.5% or so, Uh, but this was considered a win and this was also a huge engagement that they have seen from our communities in this work. So it really shows when we fight, when we come together, it it shows that that's how we build power. Um, But what ended up happening is our um, Georgia Power went back to the Public Service Commission a couple months later and requested additional funds. So it seems like we're back here at square one, um, but really not square one because our community is ready. They're more amplified, they're more just ready to take to take meaningful action. So we're in the thick of doing that work again right now and training additional, additional people to go out into their, their communities and engage their communities in this work as well. So, um, yeah, stay tuned and feel free to follow up with us to see how that's going too.
0: Diamond, I think what you just described, one, is is a, a victory that can be celebrated in bringing people together, but also the real David and Goliath dynamic of environmental activism, especially yeah. environmental activism that is not about changing the behavior of individuals, but really about addressing institutions and corporations um, to shift. We have a caller on the line, so I want to welcome to the show, Fran, thank you for joining us today on WORT 89.9. I'm Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. What's your question for our guest, Diamond?
1: Well, I'm just really concerned about you know all these thousands of trees they want to cut down in the salt creek area and it's like constantly in madison we've got these really bad environmental policies going on from them chopping down the trees to oh they're getting uh, environmentally friendly buses that are made by the same company that does all sorts of work with the military and it's just there's all these like fake environmentalists going on in madison and we never call out the mayor and her horrible policies and basically wrt has just become like corporate democrats that don't call out any of the bad policies, especially all of the hosts.
0: Uh, Thank you so much. We we definitely respect that critique. And thank you for for challenging us to do better um, and for for bringing some some real issues that we're facing locally. Diamond, do you want to speak to kind of what we can do about cutting down trees, what we can do about kind of partisan politics and how they relate to our environment?
1: Yes, absolutely. And thanks so much, Fran, for giving your comment. Um, I mean, I think the biggest things is, you know, we think when we think about trees, we're like, a tree is a tree. But really, a tree is is so much more, especially when we talk about the health outcomes. I mean, here in Atlanta, we call ourselves a city in a forest. But really, most of the trees that we have here are privately owned. So a lot of people don't even have access to those trees. But when we think about the health impacts, the positive health impacts that trees can really give us when it comes down to people who have to walk, to work for example or wait outside for the bus using that tree coverage is significant for their health because it helps them um, get away from extreme heat vulnerability or the risk of fainting, for example, from heat exhaustion. And so that is a great reason. I think ultimately, um, I've, what I've learned a lot is framing things in a health message. So I also I teach a class around climate and health. And sometimes climate and environmental impacts, they don't get to people. Um, and that's okay. But health is something that is universal, right? You know, we all have health <laughs> in some aspect. And so framing our messages around health has um, been very significant and I think has been very helpful in something I mean, that resonates. Can I
0: pause you for just yeah, a second and absolutely. say, I, w- I would love to think that Protecting one another's health and well-being is a priority mm-hmm. that we share as mm-hmm. a nation and as a community. Yeah. However, the way I experienced the pandemic, the way yeah. I experienced yeah. COVID nineteen, um, yeah. made me think that we don't live in a, a community or a culture that yeah. is deeply attached to the health and wellness of the entire community. Um, yeah. And so, I, I, I want to push back and say, what do you what do you say when people go, well, we know that 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 plant is bad for people's health. That's why we put it in a black and brown community. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I'm sure people don't really come right out and say it like that. But you have to acknowledge that some of this dynamic is by design. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And how do you confront that?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. What you're talking about here is systemic racism. I mean, things that we have seen for many, many years. And we know that it's it's not anything done by mistake. And it's very much intentional. Um, and so in that aspect, I come at it from a very racial and systemic and um, social justice aspect of how do we get um, legal support involved in that work? And so what we've been doing is we worked a lot with just different legal organizations that provide our communities with legal support, so attorneys being able to sue individuals for putting incinerators in our neighborhoods um, or different things that are related to environmental racism or environmental justice. So I think that that is definitely very helpful because you know we, we can't do everything on our own. And I think that's the biggest thing as well, just like you mentioned, we saw this during COVID, everyone doesn't care about health as a community, but they do care about their personal health. And so I think that that's something as well, um, but you still have to understand everyone Everyone's not going to do everything for the greater good, and that's just the reality of of who who people. Some people are.
0: Diamond, I I greatly appreciate you kind of acknowledging the challenges of doing this work. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. Huge shout out to our team today. We've got Jade. We've got John. We've got Sholly Pittman. Um, all making this show possible, all making it happen. If you want to join this conversation, uh, the number is 608-256-2001. We would love to hear from you. I want to go back to, to Fran, who just called. And Fran, thank you so much for kind of holding – both uh, policymakers locally and us as a radio station holding our feet to the fire. Um, I think it's really important that the conversations we have about the environment are not just symbolic. So, Diamond, I want to ask you about kind of a trend I've seen um, from bodies of government locally and across the country where folks are committing to, hey, um, sometime way, way, way down the road in 2040 or in 2050, we're going to be carbon emission free, we're going to be a a school district, or we're going to be a city that, you know, puts the environment first. And, and you see that kind of, um, that kind of symbolism or those kind of, you know, declarations or those kinds of resolutions, pretty pretty often these days. And then I think what people realize is that there isn't necessarily a plan or the follow through um, to make those declarations happen. How do you uh, engage with, with folks who are promising to do better um, but don't necessarily have a, a plan or are not in a space to implement a plan
1: to, to be
0: environmentally responsible?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I'll just amplify that I've seen this Um, I've seen this trend as well. Environment and climate are two things right now that are feeling innovative for people. It is a space that has got into tech and everyone wants the next best thing and everyone wants a climate action plan or a clean energy plan. Um, Almost every city or state or in federal government has one now, Um, which is great. But one of the things that I emphasize with people is that A plan is just a plan and a plan is just just a start. It's not the finish. It's not the end of our work. And so it basically should just be guiding us about what we should be doing, but we have to have follow through. And so I think a lot of that comes from accountability, especially from community members um, and gathering together to make sure that when we're holding, for example, our representatives accountable of the things that they have promised or said that they wanted to do in their plan because ultimately we voted for you in this space and so basically you work for us. Um, So essentially holding um, those in power again accountable to be able to follow through on um, all the different recommendations or the, the strategies that they identified in their plan. Um, but the, the other thing as well is, I mean, I do recognize too, that res- limited resources is a big issue. And so I think that just goes into the broader the broader conversation of we need additional resources and additional funding in this space in this work i mean even for myself speaking as running as a small uh, running a small nonprofit limited resources is always an issue and the demand is always higher than the supply and so that just goes into the bigger conversation of things like we don't need to be cutting ira funding anything, we need to be doubling it. Um, So making sure that there are continued investments as it relates to climate, and so that that money trickles down to individuals and to communities that need it the most is um, definitely something that I'd I'd amplify as well.
0: Diamond, I I really appreciate your response to that question. And at the same time, I think about somebody like AOC who kind Mm -hmm. of burst onto the scene saying, climate justice is a huge priority. Came out with the Green New Deal, um, which was really about you know putting people to work in green energy jobs and really shifting our economy um, towards you know sustainability, uh, and and that that feels like it's really disappeared from from who she is as as a leader and as a nationally recognizable figure. Um, how do you hold somebody like that accountable for something that you know they want to do um, and do not have the don't have broad enough support to execute or to
1: execute well? Yeah, um, and th- that's a great question. And you know, I I won't dig too much just because I, I'm not going to say my expertise is in policy. Um, but what I will say is calling your representative does does help. Um, and I know it feels like such a small thing; they don't listen, they don't care. Um, They actually do because the staffers have to go back and then share all that information. So if you had 40 people calling you in one hour to say, hey, we really need you to pass this IRA, then that is something that they're going to be pressed to at least bring to the table. Am I saying that they're going to say, oh, yeah, let's pass the IRA or let's double this funding. No, but that's something that at least gets brought to the table. But I think also, um, we we need a lot of backing in this space too. you know, for example, like ALC. Yeah, she was very, someone very strong about strong headed about the Green New Deal. I actually just watched that movie um, to the end. Recently, we did a film screening with some of our, um, our cohort members, which how, was
0: how was the movie diamond? Do you recommend it? Should we all watch it?
1: I I thought it was great. I will say that it was good. I think the time that we showed it, it was during lunchtime after we had did a bunch of workshops. So people were a bit, kind of like antsy and wanting to kind of go outside and do other things but <laughs> I will say I we did really enjoy this movie screening we're actually going to be planning to do another one in Detroit um, so yeah the movie screening I would definitely um, re- recommend watching to the end um, but yeah I mean I, I think a lot of it goes back to putting that pressure on individuals and making sure hey d- don't forget about us because we do care about these issues so you have to understand there's so many issues being brought to the table but for me what I think about when I'm thinking about climate and environmental justice, that's something that can be connected to, to everything. That's something that's connected to maternal health is connected to gentrification and housing crisis, and everything else. So that's not something that we should or I would be recommending, um, kind of leaving off the table as well.
0: Oh, thank you so much for for speaking to that and for really, you know, allowing for us to kind of tease out that question from our caller, Fran. This Friday is Sustain Danes' annual summit. The one-day event is an opportunity for sustainability leaders to learn, connect, build new skills to address climate change. We have the great pleasure of speaking with this year's keynote, Diamond Spratling. Diamond. Tell us a little bit about how you you were selected to be the keynote for Sustained Dane's annual summit this Friday.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and so basically, I Sam, one of the um, staff over at Sustained Dane reached out to me. I want to say this was like, six or so months ago, so it was quite early, um, about this comment and said that they had just read about girl Plus Environment, read about all the work that we have been doing. Um, I do a lot of talks, TED Talks, all those type of things. So I think eventually the word just kind of got out about the work that I do specifically um, at the intersections of environmental justice health and racial justice and so um, they were looking for a speaker who can um, basically speak to this topic of environmental justice but also just leave the audience feeling motivated leave the audience feeling like we can do something a lot of times in these talks when we talk about um, climate and environmental issues people get that doom and gloom and feel hopeless like we can't do anything Um, but we we don't want that we want people to feel uplifted and empowered and ready to take meaningful action so i'm super excited to be centering my conversations around storytelling, around motivating and sustaining action on all different levels and really sharing my story as well and how I got into the space. So again, very super grateful for the Sustained Dane team for inviting me to be the keynote. Um, And yeah, I'm excited to also explore Madison as well.
0: Do you think about what it would take to get Americans to take climate change seriously? Um, I I think about kind of We've had these warnings. I, grew, I mean, I grew up in the in the late 80s, early 90s, and so saving the environment and climate change and the ozone layer—these are this is stuff that I have been talking about my entire life, and yet um, it doesn't seem like we have reached kind of that tipping point where the general public subscribes to the idea that we need to do something to address climate change. What do you think it will take in in a culture like ours um, to get people to invest in, in protecting the environment and to get people to understand that in the long term, if we do not do something to address climate change, um we will provoke, you know, irreversible climate catastrophe?
1: Yeah, this is a really great question. Um so one of the things that I, I've learned very early on (laughs) about our country is that we're very reactionary. So it takes something very catastrophic for us to really begin to open our eyes and say, oh, shoot, we should probably be doing something about this. Um, But but sometimes we're, we're a little bit too late, you know? And, and that is one of the things that, you know, myself as someone in this space, I I fear, I fear every day when I think about future generations to come after us. Um, And one of the things that, well, one, I think maybe, maybe something like we saw in the COVID-19 pandemic, but just like you said, you know, we, we didn't really Take as much precaution as we really should have. So, you know, but what, what I yeah, always say were
0: deeply divided when it comes yeah, to New exactly. um, It felt like it could have been a moment where people were really invested in one another and really understood that we're connected as a community and that we can keep one another safe. And instead, it was one of the most divisive moments i've Political. experienced in my lifetime Gosh. um and i think uh you know when we when we have conversations about the environment right now that conversation is used divisively mm-hmm. um yeah. it pits people against one another mm-hmm. and i think you know what what is what it looks like to get people to take the environment seriously, or to even understand climate change. I do think that one of the reasons people are resistant to addressing climate change um, is because I think people struggle to understand what it is and what they can do about it. And if they can't really do anything about it, right, if recycling and composting and driving your, you know, Prius isn't actually going to save the world, um, what should you be doing? How do you address the major contributors to pollution?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I always say to people, well, if you thought COVID was bad, you don't want to see what climate change will do to us. It's <laughs> just so you know. Um, but one of the other things I was going to say is numbers kind of desensitize us. And, you know, we, we saw this, We saw this actually during COVID, Um, you know, very early on when we saw this many people died daily or this many people, this many cases um, daily. At first, we were very concerned, but eventually down the line, a few months in, a few years in, we stopped reporting on it. People stopped caring. people stopped being alarmed by the number of hospitalizations, by the number of cases, the number of deaths, and that just really goes to show that Yes, numbers are helpful, but numbers alone, statistics and data alone is not what what's going to help us win. That's not how we're going to be able to tell the stories as it relates to climate and environmental justice um, or climate in general. And one of the things that I really stress to people is stories. Stories are what moves us hearing those stories understanding that uh when someone's telling you hey i can't afford to pay um this x amount of money for energy bills every month because i got to put food on my table um, because we're giving specific examples those those are things those are ways that kind of help to move the needle but again i think that numbers work as well but numbers alone is not what's going to move us because eventually you know just like with climate change we hear numbers temperature has risen this amount every day like You know, that's that's not enough for us. We're humans. We're hardwired by stories because we're emotional and we're connected to those things. And so those are, I think, shifting the narrative and shifting how we talk about these conversations, how we talk about climate is something that is really going to be helpful for us. But everyone in the sector has not clicked That they haven't made that connection yet Uh, because we're very data and scientific driven, which is great. I love my sciences, but we have to be translators in in this sector. Just like you said, not many people even understand what climate is still. They don't understand what it even has to do with them every morning or their daily lives. And so we have to serve as the translators and talk to our community in a way that motivates action instead of instilling fear in them. Uh, We can't go around and say the sky is falling or (laughs) the dooming Gloom. We have to be very realistic and we have to share the information in a very meaningful and relevant way that is timely and relevant um, to the audience whom you're talking to.
0: I I think about kind of novel approaches to climate change, things Mm -hmm. like, you know, I think our caller said, like, we have a couple electric buses or we get an electric fire Mm -hmm. truck or, you know, those those sorts of, again, more more symbolic gestures um, from our leadership and our government. You are leaving Atlanta on on Thursday, flying to Wisconsin. Um, We are the dairy state there has been a lot of conversation in the climate justice movement about how people eat mm-hmm. um and when you're in a place like wisconsin where people you know do uh do eat meat and cheese and um you know cattle farming is is a normal part of of the state's culture and identity um how do you confront the the things that people feel like they'd be giving a part of a, a par, up a part of their culture, a part of their identity um, mm-hmm. in order to save the environment? And some of what you know what environmentalists are asking of people feels really hard to achieve or feels mm-hmm. like, um, the the implications go beyond the environment and into people's everyday lives in ways that folks aren't comfortable with
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think that that's something that people have a lot of concerns about because it's like I eat what I eat this is something that has been passed on from generation to generation It's a tradition no things like that I have many of, of those in my family as well um one of the things that I'll I'll amplify is that being vegan is a is a privilege. Um, having dietary restrictions or preferences, those are all very privileged things. And for those individuals who are in a space and privilege to do that, fantastic. That's great. I admire those people. And I I mean, I, I was vegetarian for 10 years. And I think that, you know, we as many people who have that privilege yes, by all means, yes, <laughs> be vegan, do whatever you need or whatever you can do to save, um, s- save save, and help contribute to addressing climate change. But I also don't think it's realistic um, and equitable to expect everyone on the planet to shift their daily habits or shift their um their their food preferences as well because again everyone does not have that privilege um, and some people eat what they have access to on that day so that's what I will amplify and I think that really gets into this entire concept of equity um, and privilege and access because. Some people will be able to invest more into climate solutions. People will be able to do more. Some people will be able to put solar panels on the top of their roofs and buy electric vehicles, which are still very pricey for people right now and not accessible to individuals in rural communities. Um, But we have to meet people where they are. And while they may not be able to do those costly things or make those changes in their daily behavior, it doesn't make them any less of a person that they are advocating for other parts of our environment. So I think there are many ways and diverse ways that people can take action and do things as it relates to climate and the environment. Um, But again, that all goes back to what your privilege is and what you're able to do. Oh, you're muted.
0: I I have to say, I think that talking about privilege in conversations like this is really challenging. in part because I think even folks who, you know, are like, yeah, I can afford to eat organic or I have the time to garden my own food, those folks feel like they're they're doing they're taking one for the team. You know, they're sacrificing a little bit of their time or they're spending a little bit more to try to make the the world better, and don't necessarily realize um, that. Other people may want to do that exact same thing and not be able to afford to do it, or not have the time to do it, or not be physically healthy enough um, to be able to engage in the ways that that they can. Um, you know, when you're working with you know folks, young young people in in your work with with Black and Brown girls and women and non-binary folks standing up for climate. Um, do you see kind of a wide range of socioeconomic realities, um, and how that allows for the people you work with to show up in this movement? And how do you all talk about that? How do you talk about like, oh, this young person, um, you know, inherited their mom's Prius, and and this young person is you know driving their their uncle's Ford Explorer, and they're both coming to this same meeting, this same group
1: yeah um absolutely so i mean that that definitely comes up in our work so yes we work predominantly with black and brown women non-binary individuals mostly i would say gen z millennials um age age range but that doesn't mean that everyone is in the same economic um brackets as well and so um you know for example when we did our um our trainings in person last year in atlanta I mean, it, it was an issue for some people to have transportation to, to get to that side of town. They're like, we're, we're meeting on the belt line, You know, we don't, we don't have access to the belt line. And so being able to, one, provide those spaces and the access to spaces that people can get to, but also um, going, again, back to that concept of equity and making sure that we are providing people with transportation, with childcare, with all of these additional things. But I think getting everyone at, the same table and having those conversations and say, hey, I, I'm privileged enough to do this, but I wanna be able to help you you know, do that or have access to foods or whatever the case may be, I think is really critical as well because just like you said, people are coming from various different backgrounds, economic, family, all of these things. But at the end of the day, we are all on the same planet. And so we need people who can give more to give more. If people can support others, we need that. But understanding that those individuals can support you in other ways as well. And so I think a lot of coming together and really understanding that we have, may have different walks, but we're here for ultimately for the same reason. It's something that I've been trying to instill in all the trainings that we've been doing so that people understand, hey, we understand that your community may not be able to engage as much as the community in Buckhead, um, but being able to provide those opportunities for people has been something that we've been trying to just do in our work around advocacy in Atlanta as well.
0: Does climate change keep you up at night, diamond? Do you do you worry about this? Do you have anxiety related to climate change and are, are in action in, in terms of addressing it as a society?
1: That's a good question. I have anxiety about a lot of things. <laughs> All right, Yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, there, there's a lot of just traumas going on in this world in general. Um, and yes, um, climate change is one of those things. And I think it's mainly because um, so, sometimes I forget that I am a human in this work too. Just because mm-hmm. I am someone who has an organization who's advocating for it, it doesn't remove me from the equation. I'm still impacted every day. I have high energy burden. Um, And so when I think about climate change, when I think about these issues, I think about other people who look like me. I think about my friends, my cousins, my family back home who are the reason why I even got into this work. Um, And so, yes, it does keep me up. But I mean so do so do the economic issues that we're experiencing. So does so does racism and gentrification and all these other issues that I'm experiencing daily. Um, but understanding that all of those things are connected as well. Um, and I think that that's a big thing too, is understanding, and I had to realize this very early on when I got into this sector, is that it wasn't that my family and friends didn't care about environmental justice. It wasn't that they didn't wanna hear me talk about these issues. It was that they were trying to put food on the table. They were are so many pressing things. They had to go to work and do a 40-hour shift and all of these other things. And so there's so many competing things. I mean, especially here in the U.S., it feels like, darn, we just can't catch a break. There's always something extra, another hashtag, another save, save this, activate for that. You know, there, there's always something. And so I think originally when I got into this space, this space, I was very offended. I was like, oh my gosh, my family, they don't care about these issues. But it, it wasn't that. And I had to shift my language, I had to shift the way I was approaching my community with climate, with the environment. And I had to make them make it be known that climate has everything to do with the food on your plate. It has everything to do with whether you have to work this, this long shift or whether you have to walk to work or have access to that. Um, And I think ultimately making that connection um, has really worked to my benefit in, in the past couple of years.
0: Diamond, it's so powerful to hear you talk about that and, and literally just kind of charming to hear you say, like, I was offended that my family did not care about this thing I was really (laughs) passionate about. Um, I just, I, I identify with that as somebody who like wants my whole family to talk about education all the time and they just like, won't do it with me. Um, but I, I guess, I'm curious, you know, as you as you think about your yourself in this movement, you you are a black woman and you could be an activist for the Black Lives Matter movement and you could be an activist for me, too. And you could you are disproportionately impacted by all the things that are wrong with our society at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And when when you are positioned in that way to be discriminated against on the basis of race and on the basis of gender, to be paid less for doing the same amount of work, to be tokenized, even in the climate justice movement, to be tokenized as one of a few Black voices that people want to hear from. how do you how do you choose where you're going to focus and what that focus is going to look like? Um, how do you make decisions around, you know, what events you're going to be at and what events you're not? How did you know that you wanted to show up in Madison, Wisconsin, when it's like very not warm outside and, and talk about the environment at a Sustained Day and Summit this week? Which I want to mention, you can still register online for the summit. So if you want to hear Diamond speak live and in person, you've still got a chance. Make sure to register.
1: Yeah. Um, So, you know, to be completely transparent, I'm still figuring it out. I'm still trying to figure out how do I best spend my time? Where am I most needed? How do I manage my time and all the things that I do? Because like I mentioned early on in the call, I I created and run an entire nonprofit organization, um, which no one on the can see the bags under my eyes
0: but <laughs> diamond oh, is you. is over here diamond spratling is over no. here looking amazing stop no
1: thank you though looking very energized
0: <laughs> wonderfully like looking completely refreshed oh, thank you and I yet you that. do you run this you run this national organization um and i do want to ask When you say this is a a national non-profit to help young Black and Brown people address climate change, does that mean there's a chapter in every state? Like, what does what does it mean to be doing work that is um, scaled to the entire nation?
1: Yes. Um, So we're we haven't gotten to building our official chapters just yet, but we do have most of our represent or just members are based in Atlanta, Detroit, um, L.A. DMV area in New York City um, or just New York State. Um, and so that has been built out over the past. We've been around for four and a half years now, but we just started our official membership um, in January. And so we have about 300. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a huge accomplishment. So we have like three over 350 members now um, based all over the country. And we share resources, tools, information, ways to help them do the work on the ground because we are one, small organization we can't be everywhere at once but we can share that information and help to prepare people to take advantage and take meaningful action on the ground so we do a lot of that work Um, we are actually developing out an entire hub to help more black and brown people have access to jobs resources funding everything related to climate and environmental justice and to build out a community of people because you need we need more people who look like us in this space and so really honing in and making sure that we're providing access to that too. Um, So yeah, we're hoping to continue to expand over the next couple of years to having more chapters in in different parts of the country.
0: Oh, that's so incredibly beautiful to hear. And that does seem like a tremendous amount of work for you to do, Diamond, and to do that work and make time to come visit us in Madison. Um, I'm I'm so grateful that you're going to be here and that folks are going to get to hear from you. Is there, you know, something that you hope you how will you know when you're ready to kind of move on or move away from this work or do this work differently what what what's kind of the accomplishment or the goal that'll let you know okay I can take a break I can write the book I can do do the next phase of of this work because right now it seems like you're really in in this, this organizing space, you know, across the country. Is that kind of the long-term goal, to do that and to strengthen that? Or is it to get that to a place where you can hand it to somebody else um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, make your next move?
1: Yeah, I love this question. Loki just gave me chills thinking about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think so. I've, I've been doing this work nine years now. Um, and GPE started four and a half years ago. Um, and it has been nonstop going and it's exhausting to do this work and to be in this space. But I do it because I'm passionate about it. Um, but passion isn't always enough, you have to get paid, you have to have mental health, and you have to have um, balance and stability. And so um, one day, yes, I will be passing the torch on to an, another amazing individual to take my space my place as the executive director um and I do hope to write a book and to just maybe solely get paid to speak you know um, and so I I think that ultimately um yeah, it, it depends, I guess, when, when I'm ready to to do that, to give all of those things up. Um, but but also when I'm ready to settle down and have a family. And that's something that I really would love to do. And so, you know, understanding that I, I want to take time and just be with my kids, my future kids, and just be on the edge of an island and just enjoy oh, that.
0: Diamond, I think this world is so ready for your adorable babies oh. and your book and all the things that you're going to do. But in the meantime... I have to say, we here at WORT 89.9 FM are so grateful that we got to have this conversation with you. We're so glad that you are coming to Madison. Folks, make sure to register for Sustain Dane's annual summit and hear from their keynote speaker, Diamond Spratling, who joined us today on WORT. It was so lovely to speak with you. Thank you for everything you're doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and can't see, wait to see y'all at the summit this week. If I get that